Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the new episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? Um, I would like to welcome my next guest. This is one of my dear writer friends and fellow mom as we navigate this quarantine life um, at home. Uh, She is a fiction writer, a screenwriter for Hallmark. So if you guys are watching those Hallmark movies this holiday season, you might see her name. Um, She also was a sustainable farmer for six years, but continues, even though she's not farming now, continues to support sustainable farmers. Um, And hopefully that'll be in our conversation as we uh, move through the episode today. Welcome to the show, Claire Boyles. Yay! <laughs> I'm so glad you could join me on this adventure of podcasting. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so great. So I, um, as you know, I like to start the episode with my roulette of poems from this book called The Gift by Hafiz. And recently I learned how to pronounce his name correctly. So for those of you that have been silently cursing me out for mispronouncing it, I am getting it right now. And if I'm wrong, send me an email (laughs) and let me know. (laughs) Uh, Email will be in the show notes. Okay, so we're going to go through the roulette of the poems and we'll see. Oh, here we go. So today's poem is called, it's a short one. It's called, Who Will Feed My Cat? I will need someone to feed my cat when I leave this world. Though my cat is not ordinary. She only has three paws, fire, air, water. That's really cool. Yeah. It's not not where I thought it was going. (laughs) Me neither. Me neither. Um, So does anything jump to mind from hearing that poem for you? I mean, I think the idea of caring for um, people or beings like lives that are not what we expect or not typical in some way, I think is sort of a, I feel like that is a shared responsibility that is often given to like one particular person to care for one particular, you know, life or something. And I think the idea of sharing that, that society should be caring for people is sort of what, or cats, with odd numbers of feet (laughs) elements and not feet I mean that's I I think for me that's kind of that's what that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently and so that's where I would say the poem takes me yeah 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 it is this this call for um for care but what's interesting is that the cat is the elements so I'm I'm relating it to how a lot of folks are talking about how the environment is benefiting from this pandemic, you know, and, and so mother earth is saying, hold up humans, you know, if you're mm-hmm. not going to take care of me, I'm going to take care of me and I'm going to make you stop. 
Yeah. I mean, that idea, I, I thought a lot about that idea of like mother earth having agency, um, in the pandemic. And I, I find that troubling. I'm not sure I'm super comfortable with like that idea. Hmm. Um, Can you because say it feels, I guess, I guess for me, I feel like it, it kind of makes, um, it makes it almost feel like I do believe that there's a connection between the way we have treated the climate and, you know, superstorms and pandemics. Mm. It's not that I, I don't deny that that connection exists, but I think making it seem, um, like there is a, like nature is an agent of punishment and, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that like makes people want to preserve nature or love mother nature more. I feel like that sets it up as a very antagonistic relationship. And I think I, for me, I, I really try to see it as like, how can we work? You know, like we need to work with nature. We need to care about nature. We need to think of nature as not separate from us or not as out to get us. And I think that that's a struggle in normal life um, without, without adding this idea that she's getting back at us now. And that's why she, you know, or something like that, which is not exactly what's being said, but I, I guess I pick up on that a little bit and I'm a little, just find it troubling. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it depends on, on who you talk to. I mean, it's not, it's not, um, I mean, I don't see it as an antagonistic, um, response. It's more of a, to kind of bring it into yoga language is karma. You know, it's, it's yeah. this cause and effect, you know, it's like, we are, we are causing this thing by mistreating the environment and the effect is this. So, um, Hey humans live with the effects. <laughs> yeah. okay. you know? I think, um, if it, if it motivates humans in toward better behavior, when this is over, you know, when we're not forced to drive less, when we're not forced to consume less, when we're not forced into a situation like this, if it, you know, if it helps promote those behaviors in the aftertimes, whatever they are, then I think it might be useful. Yeah. But I, I guess, you know, it's also new and um, it's just something that I've been, been thinking about, like this idea, because I, I do, you know, the idea that, um, air pollution in China is so far down that people are like seeing blue children are seeing like blue skies for the first time in their lives is a really beautiful idea. Um, but the cost to humanity for those gains feels horrific. Mm. And I guess, I guess to me, it's, I, I, I guess that's my, that's, I don't know. I'm not being very articulate because I think I haven't completely thought this through. It's okay. Um, I mean, it's all new for us. So you questions in advance on her podcast. <laughs> no, we just wing it. We just wing it yeah. here. But it's, but, but what, that's what makes it so um, great as far as like for a listener to kind of witness us try to figure things out along the way so that, mm -hmm people who are listening aren't like, oh, they don't have all the answers. That makes me feel better because I feel like I need to have all the answers and I don't. And the thing is this, um, this, this pandemic is new for everybody that we're all figuring it out as we go. So it mm -hmm. helps to talk about these things out loud and be like, well, you know what? I can feel this way and that way, but I'm still sort of uncovering all the different layers because there's so many different layers, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I think like, 
I think like it's good to hear the different questions. You know, my questions are not your questions. And, and I think those are like, that's kind of the beauty of human existence, right? That's what we want in nature and in life is like this diversity of experience. So it's, it's good. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, 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 give me, I don't, I will never have the answers about this. You could have asked me to prepare and I would not have any, probably have had anything more <laughs> articulate to say, but I think it's just an idea that I've been kind of keeping in my head as I've encountered news or those things. Yeah. But the, you know, the thing is, is answers I feel are formed in ways that feel true for the individual. Mm -hmm. Right. And so our lived experience provides whatever answers feel good for us because whatever answers or conclusions, because at this point, I don't think there are any definitive answers. So it's more of a way, how do we relate to what's going on and how do we as individuals interact with what's going on with whatever knowledge that we're synthesizing. Um, and so it, it's not so much answers as it, as it is just discoveries and how can you share what's useful with other people who might be lost or trying to figure out like what to do or what's going on. Um, and of course, you know, I'm being generous in saying that most people are like this, but there are other people who don't care, you know? And so, um, there are those who still don't respect the social distancing, which semantically I have a problem with because we're all being more social. It's just physical distance, right? That's right. <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, what's that? Yeah. It's just, I think I read somewhere, someone's like, we should just call it physical distancing. Yes. It's, you know, <laughs> right. Because when I take a walk in my neighborhood, if I see someone on the other side of the street walking, I'm actually now more apt to say hello than mm -hmm. before the pandemic. And it's not, you know, and I'm far enough away, you know, I'm not being socially distant where actually we're probably more socially distant, you know, before the pandemic. <laughs> That's funny. I do think that's true for me too with people that I don't know that I'm like more likely and even people like, like you who like you're a dear friend of mine, but we don't talk as often as we, you know, you live far away and we don't interact. Like we don't see each other face to face. So, right. um, I would say I'm definitely talking more to friends who've been distant. I think where I feel, I personally do feel a sense of loss in the physical distance from like my own parents who mm. lived 10 minutes away, um, who are in full isolation for a number of reasons, um, which includes isolation from us. Um, and that's necessary and it's right for them. And it's actually a life preserving situation, but it's, um, it's a real loss and I feel it really every day, even though, um, I'm in contact with them a lot. I, you know, I'm their like courier to the world. And so I do see them, you know, we drop off their groceries. We still do their yard work. They wave at us from the porch. <laughs> um, so it's not, so, but I, I have found a loss of like the physical touch and the connection of like being in a shared space with, um, people that I, and even friends that I do share space, physical space with often, I do feel that as a loss that has been, um, and I think, I think a lot of us are, that's not like, you know, not surprise. I feel a loss, uh, yeah. but I think, um, but I think it's okay for me that has been, um, a form like a source of grief that, yeah. um, I think that I don't carry normally. 
you know, yeah. like a, and, and that I would carry to a degree about other things, but that this feels, so I think it's hard and I think it's okay to feel grief about it too. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you speak to, um, the importance of just physical closeness, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you mentioned doing yard work for your, for your parents. And it's like, there is this, and I'm imagining like, there's this urge to want to just go up on the porch and give them a hug, but you know that you can't. Mm-hmm. And, and so that in and of itself is hard. I mean, my mom stopped by yes, a few days ago and dropped off some brownies, but she was like, <laughs> she's like, I'm just going to leave it at the door and then I'm going to run to the car. And I'm like, okay. But you know, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's a, interesting space to try to navigate because it's you know you want to hug you want the physical contact but at the same time you know that that's that's a matter of life or death for some people yeah my um my father who is um he has a number of health issues that he's had like you know chronic health issues um and he was diagnosed with cancer in january which felt very hard and heavy. Um, and it was, so he's, he's in chemotherapy. He's like in a, having a course, which is why they have to isolate the both of them because my mom is his caregiver. Um, so it does, you know, I think it's like, I think there are, I guess to me, this is especially a time I would like to have spent with him Mm. like close time. Um, and you never know how much time you have with the people that you love. And I think my dad's health issues from the time I was a young child have helped me like understand that about the world. I, I think I do. Um, I think at least I can recognize if I've been taking relationships for granted and mm. not engaging with them. Mm. And I, I think that's, that's, you know, that's something that I was able to take from the challenges of that experience. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think if there's, if it feels like the clock is all of a sudden a much shorter clock in time left, it has been harder to live with the restrictions of not being able to just give that sweet old man a hug. You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah. So yeah, yeah, those are, you know, um, I think, I think there are, I think everyone's, experience of this pandemic is very personal Mm. and painful in different ways. And I think, um, I think it's just okay. You know, that's, it's a very painful time for a society globally and it's okay to have those, you know, I think as moms, we're like, well, we have to be strong and we absolutely do. There's no question, but I think it's okay to also carry that grief around a bit. And And it's it's also okay to not be strong, you know, to just experience whatever you're experiencing and to honor it and not to hide it and not to put on a face because that's what moms tend to do. Um, But uh, I I was curious about, and you know, this question is coming up anyway, is how um, writing has been for you. If any of this stuff, I mean, because I know that you recently turned in some edits for your short story collection, which is coming out from Norton sometime in the future, which is amazing. Um, and that you've been doing your, your screenplays for Hallmark, but I don't know if you've had time to write any new stuff. And if any of the new stuff 
reflects our current situation or if as a writer all this stuff that's happening now doesn't come up in your writing now but maybe comes up later like I you know say a little bit about your process or if any of this current experience is coming into the writing um I think I think there I for first I think um I would say that the writing for me I have been so grateful to have it. Um, My story collection is, you know, those are stories that I really have worked on for, like, I mean, I think one of the stories in the collection won a very small contest in 2013. So there are stories that I've been working on for a really long time that I had to go back and like revisit, um, which was wonderful. And to live in stories instead of in the world was, I think, an incredible gift. And I think the deadline that I had, you know, that the story collection was due, the edits were due, helped me find the discipline and like the, which, which I think in these times is really hard. And it was not easy, especially, you know, like once my own kids came home from school and were here all day and you know, different things were happening. Um, but I was so grateful to have those stories to live in. And the, the Hallmark scripts are very, it's such a different type of writing. I mean, that the point of a, you know, the point of my story collection is really hopefully, hopefully the stories are enjoyable to read, but also make you feel a little troubled about the state of the climate and the world and your place in it and what action, you know, like, what are appropriate actions and what are inappropriate actions and how do you know the difference? And, you know, that's, those are things I like to, to deal with in my literary fiction and in the Hallmark films. Um, I find that, I mean, I find that so valuable too to be telling, to be writing a story that will just bring joy to people on the other side of this, hopefully, you know, I mean, who, who knows? Everything is, you know, nobody's making movies at this current moment. Um, production is shut down. I, I just think like, um, so when, but when we come back on the other side of it, it was, it was, uh, really, it felt important to be writing a story in a pain-free world, sort of, that people could watch together with their families, which is, I think, one of the most beautiful things about the Christmas movie or the, holiday movie experience is like it's it's kind of a shared experience between people um so yes so that's the first part of your question I actually feel really grateful to have been able to engage with that work um and it was a little weird a couple weeks ago to like put on Christmas music in my headphones and (laughs) channel the joy like I'm right um, but but you can I mean you, you can you know you can lose yourself in it and that it did lift my own spirits to be able to, to live in those worlds. And it feels like a real gift to be able to hopefully when this is all over, have created something that will lift other people's spirits as well. Mm. Um, and as far as like, so then like, as far as writing new work in the collection, I did, um, write one entirely new story for the collection in the last two months. And then I also, um, had sort of taken a story out of an early draft of the collection and I reworked that story and put it back in. And I do think that the, I mean, I think the one story I, I was just trying to think a lot about like 
what, how, how you, how art functions within the context of catastrophe Mm. and, um, what it means to an artist and also what happens when the art is misinterpreted or like when the art says something to the world that you as an artist didn't intend for it to say and, or people, (laughs) you don't know why people are seeing the thing you said, the way you, the way they're seeing, you know, right. Right. Um, But also like the ideas of, uh, I think something I really have been thinking a lot about is the idea of like knowing these things were coming, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the coming climate crisis, whether it's something in a character's personal life or in your own personal life, it's like there are always a series of warnings and they are so easy to ignore. And so I think, you know, I hope um, that the the news story that I wrote for the collection, like, tries to deal with all of those things, which is a lot for a story to carry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, wow, are you sure it's not a novel? <laughs> um, but I think, you know, to the degree that, that, I do think that it, that the concerns of the moment are definitely present in mm. a lot of the stories I have written for the last five years because mm. we can't pretend um, that this isn't connected to the climate right. catastrophe or um, that that we that we can continue to avoid our responsibility to that, which is what the story collection really deals with. What is our responsibility to? ourselves and our families and also the wider world you know how do these issues affect us um and so I'm I'm actually really glad I was able to write a new story also that dealt with more directly some things that are a little more timely maybe that I've been thinking about now yeah yeah that sounds amazing I can't wait to read the new story it was funny as you were describing some of the elements of the new story I was thinking about you because you you, you, were, you said something along the lines of like there are signs right that are easy to ignore and suddenly in my head what what jumped in was like when you're in a relationship with a boyfriend that all the red flags go up and you're like nope I'm gonna ignore those red flags because I want to stay with this guy <laughs> yeah and actually one of the things I try to I I really try I don't know if I'm able to capture this idea but the way that like that situation in like your personal life. Right. Right. It, it also like keeps you, it's so immediate and it, it's not to minimize it. It's very important, but it also is sort of the thing, the way these things affect us personally are sort of the things that keep us from engaging with the bigger issues because what feels more immediate is like your immediate personal relationship and not that it's not, it's just that the climate emergency is also a very like present threat. It's not a future thing. It is happening now, but it's easy to kind of just not make that connection. And like, I'm not saying I'm good at that. I'm saying I recognize that like that I can get so distracted by the immediate needs of my family or my own relationships that I'm not actually, you know, engaging to the way to the degree that I should be with the bigger issues in the world, right. which I think is a responsibility of everyone to, you know, with the talents that you have, like, you know, I try to do it with my writing. I try to do it in other ways. Um, 
but I think like you don't have to be an artist to be engaging with this right now. There's a million ways you could be doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you, you say, you speak to the immediacy though of it. uh, And I think that that is an important point to make because we, we are fortunate enough to live in the United States despite, you know, government things. (laughs) things. <laughs> we'll just say really your podcast in a direction you're not really ready. To no, no, it's okay. Um, but I was just thinking about how fortunate we are to, um, to be able to look away from the immediacy of it. You know, for example, we have running water that comes out of the faucet, we just have to turn the tap on. You know, there are some people who live in the world, and they don't have that. And they see the immediate effects of the the climate disaster that's happening. Um, I mean, there's so many people in the United States who also do not have that. I mean, beyond Flint, Michigan, um, there's actually like municipal systems and our municipal, I I mean, I feel like I do, I love, I do, I do have a sense of love for my country and I do have a sense of patriotism. Although what I think patriotism means, I think is always, um, not always, but it's, it's not necessary. You know, I was raised, uh, really by a fairly conservative family. And I think my definition of patriotism is not the same as the definition I was taught early on anymore. Right, right. Um, I love my country is not the way necessarily I was told I should uh, right. possibly maybe a little bit more dissent in my love than what I was taught to that patriotism would require of me. But I don't think that makes me you know, I think, I think it's okay. I think I can claim patriotism, even right. though I, you know, um, but I think that, um, part of what the legacy of, of at least the way I was taught to view America is to help us like look beyond that. And that's the thing, like, we just, we don't recognize the ways that we are allowing, um, or the way that our country is actually, we're not different. We're not exceptional. We are the same. And we are letting populations in our own country suffer, you know, needlessly, really, because we do have the resources to fix it. Um, but it's sort of because it's just like easy. Like I don't live in Flint. Right. I live in Colorado. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's, that's the thing I sometimes think. Like I do feel lucky to live in the abundance of, this nation, but I don't think the way we're distributing that abundance is, um, I'm, I'm just not sure we, I'm not sure we can be proud of the way we are currently using our resources. Right. Um, right. Right. And so the- I, think, I mean, I think that's also like, you know, I, I think knowing locally what those issues are is really important. So like in, even in my town, our municipal water is is reliable um but back in 2016 in like i think it was march or april i just read the local newspaper there was an article about how in january uh two months before three months before there had been a major fish kill in the river where we get our water Mm. that was caused by a construction company that's been rebuilding the road that was completely damaged by the big flood we had in 2013 Mm. and I didn't know that happened like when it happened I didn't know it happened and there was like I may not have had that reporter you know I may never have known that happened right Um, 
We also get our water from a reservoir that is now so full of algae that you can taste it. At the end of every summer season, the water just tastes, it tastes like broccoli. It tastes like something like root vegetables. And mm. it, um, you know, the, the city is like, that. it won't harm you. It's just, you know, and then the city council had a whole thing where like, I don't think it's really, I think you're, I think these people are making it up. I don't think it really has a taste or a smell. And like, it's just been this really interesting, like, um, the algae blooms are, are definitely like the water is too warm. And so the, the algae blooms and, um, that is a climate issue yeah, and a pollution issue, um, that we are just not, I don't know. So even though my water here is fairly safe, I like, there's still, there's still stuff like, happening. All these warning signs that right. were just like, there is no push. There's no push. Nobody is up in arms about our water quality here. Yeah. Nobody's thinking about it. Yeah. No, yeah. it seems like maybe we should be, but we are not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, and this is just a question. It's not, you know, I don't have any answers either, but it's, I'm wondering if how the pandemic is framing, how people are interacting with nature, um, with resources, just in general. I mean, we, you want to talk about resources. We'll just talk about the, the lack of, you know, personal protective equipment, for example, you yeah, know, right. um, and just in terms of resources, I think about, um, people who don't have access to food because they've lost their job, because they're, the business they worked for shut down, or that they're working in a high-risk area because they can't afford to not work. You know, So I'm just thinking about how everyone's put in these various situations um, that I, I'm wondering if people's consciousness about their lives and the immediacy of what's available and what's not available is shifting their perspective of how to interact with each other and the world. I don't know. I mean, these are just questions that I'm, I'm putting out there. I hope so. I think, I mean, I think especially because I have teenagers at home. Um, my daughter is a senior in high school and my son is a freshman in high school. So they are old enough. They read the news. They're old enough to know what is going on. Um, but they are still teenagers um, whose like processing and emotions are not like entirely they developed. Know they're not, they will be. <laughs> yeah. They're developmentally right where they should be, which right. means they are teenagers. Um, and I think, I think something that I really, that I, I feel like I have not struck the correct balance all the way through, even before the pandemic. Um, but now I'm trying to be very aware of, um, because I do feel like things are fairly catastrophic and like action is definitely urgent action is needed on a lot of fronts. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that is also something that I have to be very intentional to temper with hope mm. for them. Um, you know, my daughter has a lot. My daughter was born um, nine months after September 11th. Mm. She you know, her generation, I mean, they were, they, I think she was in first grade or second grade when Sandy Hook happened. And they've had this like fear for their safety in their school environment their entire lives. Mm. 
And then the climate emergency weighs off, you know, like it's easy, I think, for them to feel very overwhelmed and almost like the future is an impossible place, which is not, you know, like if there's anything more sad than like a, like, you know, than, than like the younger generations not having any hope or sense of agency to change. So, um, I guess, I guess I have tried to during this time find more hopeful things. Um, even though I don't think I've been very hopeful in this particular interview, I have tried to focus on things like it does. There is social science research coming out that the pandemic does make us care more about each other. Mm. Um, my local blood that we went to donate blood at the local hospital and they had put out a call that they were low because people weren't coming in to donate because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And when I called to make the appointment, it was three weeks out. They were booked and they said the community had responded and mm. they were like booked solid. And that, um, so, so I think there are moments of hope and I do hope that, you know, to your question of, will we come out of this, feeling more connected. I, I hope so. I hope our sense of responsibility to each other, which is one thing I think this has really highlighted, um, was our sense of responsibility to each other. I'm not staying home. Like, I mean, I am staying home to a degree so that I don't get sick, but I'm mostly staying home so that I'm not one of the people that gets someone else sick, you know, or like, I'm not wearing like the mask isn't the cloth mask that I make on my sewing machine isn't necessarily protecting me from the virus, but it is a level of protection for people around me from the possibility that I have the virus. And so I, I hope that that is something I think that's, I think the part of human nature that is beautiful, that does want to help people could endure beyond this. And I hope that that's true. And I think despite my own like fears and sort of like worry about whether we will take the actions we need to take to make a better future, I think it's important for me to focus on the ways that might be happening and the ways that could be happening because that is a way I can highlight to my children that it matters. You know, hope is not lost. Your future exists on the other side of this. And you have a responsibility to make that future better for yourself and for other people, which means you can't just give it all up and say it doesn't matter, you know, or it doesn't like none of this matters anymore. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I I think that that last part is an important piece of it um, because it's easy to get overwhelmed. And I know a lot of people, you know, they read the news, which you should like temper your news intake, (laughs) you know, to, to keep hope up. But it's, it's important to realize that we have power to create little changes, even if they're the smallest ones, even if it's for like your neighbor or whoever. Um, And then that will begin to spread like a different kind of contagion, right? Mm -hmm. Where we can be, the hope for the people in our little circle, you know, even if it's just, I'm sewing, like I, I'm, I'm sewing 10 masks and that's all I can do. But those 10 people who get it are going to be like, Oh my God, you know, I'm so grateful that you took the time to do this. You had the intention to do this. You gave it to me. And now I want to, you know, do something similar for somebody else. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important that you're doing that for your kids as far as like showing them it's not, there are terrible things that happen in the world, but it doesn't 
need to be something that debilitates you. It mm-hmm. could be something that inspires you to say, hey, I'm not going to stand for this and I'm going to do something else that will help create more kindness and more love. Mm-hmm. Um, and that butt can exist simultaneously with their own sense of loss and yes. grief. I yes. mean, you know, if you're 18 years old and you don't get to have a prom and a graduation, I think there are plenty yeah. of people that are really minimizing that for what that means for kids. Like who cares, yeah. you know? Yeah. And like, we oh my know, God. looking back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's important. Things, like they mattered so much in the moment when, you know, 30 years from now, this, this moment will be what matters more than that. Like you will have a sense of who your generation is from this moment and the things you didn't get. Yeah. But I think trying to tell someone, you know, trying to tell the kids that they shouldn't be sad about that or that they're somehow selfish for feeling bad about that is also the wrong. Yeah. You know, there's name in allowing them to be like, this is kind of terrible. And I was really looking forward to this while also saying, yes, you can feel that way. And you also have a responsibility to not let it totally like you can destroy it. Right. What you choose to do then has to be an appropriate response. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's up to that. I think that takes, I think if, if there's anything our generation can do for the younger generations, like as penance, maybe for leaving them such a disaster It's trying to coach them with like empathy and compassion Mm. about how, how to get through this, you know, being really thoughtful and gracious as to the degree that we can be and like trying to not shame them for the things they're mourning, just like we don't want to be shamed for the things we're mourning. Um, yeah. And it's, it's about teaching them just to honor whatever experience they're having. Um, mm-hmm. you know, these, the, it really bothers me when people like tell other people what to do. It's like, you know what, you, you have no right to blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, who are you? You know, like everyone's life experience is their life experience. And, and we all have to honor whatever that individual experience is. Um, because when you don't, then you end up with a lot of, you know, just bad energy and like resentment and like, you know, and then it ends up being not good for nurturing the best version of yourself, whoever you are, no matter what age you are, you know? And so to, to kind of put that on teenagers and they're at such a tender age for emotional development is, is not helpful, you know? And it really does suck. Harmful. Yeah. And I'm going to tell those people, don't do it. (laughs) Just so we just talked about, don't tell people what to do. Yeah. We're not going to tell you what to do, but don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I guess, I guess that's just like an overall principle of life, right? That because we all are full of as much darkness as we are light, right? Then we all need to be forgiven for things in our past and for things in our present, like in the ways we are not a good enough person yet. And then also for the ways in the future that we will not be a good enough person for the moment we are faced with. I think since we, since we all need that forgiveness and we crave that forgiveness, the only way to get it is to extend it. And it's so hard to forgive other people when you, when you truly believe they're, they be, you know, they're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think, 
I think that practice of, you know, forgiveness of, you know, just trying to extend some grace and forgiveness to anyone. Um, not that we for should forgive every action. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, there are, there are often ways to find empathy mm. and forgive behavior, even if it's fairly, I don't know. I just, I just think the idea of humility and forgiving others because you yourself also need to be forgiven frequently for the ways you are not who you want to be all the time. Um, I think that is something that was true before the pandemic. And I think that is something that is especially true now because we have to work together to get through it. You know, like it's, right. we have to, as a, as a group of humans come together to survive it. And I think that's, important you yeah. know so yeah. Like, yeah these are all important difficult lessons you know difficult things hard. I mean it's so easy to say let's forgive and then you're like oh but I want to be right you know the no- knowing you should forgive someone and actually doing it are two totally different things <laughs> right 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 so yeah I think and and for that I frequently need to be forgiven so there we are <laughs> and there it comes full circle <laughs> Well, one of the ways I'm not as good as I would like to be, I very frequently need to be forgiven. Yeah, it's funny because one of the um, one of the teachings that I um, I took away from, you know, one of my spiritual teachers that I thought was really helpful for me in terms of thinking about forgiveness is that holding a grudge, because essentially that's what forgiveness is. It's like holding on to this thing that you were wronged ends up just hurting yourself. The other person probably doesn't even know that they wronged you. You know what I mean? (laughs) They probably like, let's just say it's like some guy who cut you off, you know, while you're driving and you're like, oh, you know, throwing up your hand and cursing them out or whatever. And you don't know what, what their story is. You don't know what they were like, what their experience was. Maybe they were on their way to, you know, some kind of emergency or something, didn't see you and like change lanes or whatever. But Maybe they cut you off, but then they're not thinking about you as long as you're thinking about them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think even when it is someone where the the harm is more personal or like more, you know, they're, you know, like there's, there's someone in your life that has hurt you in some way or, I mean, I think there are a lot of ways to, to access forgiveness um, like a lot of times I like to ask, especially if I find myself like thinking about something that happened a long time ago, mm. you know, like I'm still mad at, right. I don't know who. You took my catch up. You know? <laughs> um, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going right. to bring up all my grudges here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, we all carry them. And I think what has helped me in recent years is to ask myself, would that person do that thing again? And mm. often the answer is no. Because people are like constantly evolving and their right. thoughts about things change and their perspectives on things change. Um, and so if you can believe in, if you can believe that you yourself can become better and change for the better, then you can also start to allow for that in other people, even if they've behaved badly in the past. And right. I think that has been a helpful thing. And, yeah. that, you know, again, I think the pandemic has asked me to reevaluate like if the you know if I feel like the relationships in my life are broken in any way 
what is it that I have to do right now to unbreak them, to mend them? Because mm-hmm. I like there are bigger issues yeah. than, than those things right now. And I think it's important. I think it, and in, to a degree, it's been an important perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because everyone, it's, I have, um, I have a few undergraduate students who, um, work in grocery stores and they're so funny. They, you know, I check in with them at class and they're like, you know, I just am so sick of people talking about the pandemic, (laughs) which is really funny. Right. And I was like, well, that's all anyone could talk about. And here we are talking about it some more, but, um, but it's so prevalent. It's so looming that to not it's hard to talk about anything without that lens. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I think that already in and of itself speaks to us as a collective, possibly evolving to, you know, to better ourselves. And what would happen if we did not stop to examine what this meant? Like, that's so much worse. You know, like I, I understand the idea, like I'm, I'm full. I am filled up with pandemic information and I can't carry any more of it. That I, I absolutely understand that feeling. But at the same time, I think it's really important. You know, there's this, like, like if there was ever a time to really examine what this means in our own individual lives and also for us as a, as a society, we, we can't, we can't not examine it. We can't at least we, we have to try to seek the next steps. I mean, this brings us back to the beginning of the conversation with answers. I don't know if there are answers, but there are some problems we are, there are some questions we are going to need to answer. And I think how we deal with the huge and, you know, the huge numbers of unemployed people and this looming cliff of the eviction protections that have been put into place for people ending and um, like how we respond to the really human, those are questions that need to be answered. We can't, we can't just not, we have to talk about what this pandemic means and we have to talk about what it means for life after the pandemic. And we have to actually um, participate, I think, as citizens in we have to let the lawmakers know what it is we want to see. If we want compassion to be part of this response we're going to have to call every day and insist that money is not as important as humans and that humans are going to need more than $1,200 in August to get through this. This is, it's just, it's not, um, it's not a, it's a bandaid that doesn't even cover the wound. Right. (laughs) It's like those mini (laughs) band-aids. Yeah. Like I think to the degree that, um, that we examine it philosophically, And as part of our spiritual existence moving forward, I think that's really essential. But I think that has to inform action. And I think since we're all in our, it's something I've really struggled with. Like, what is the correct action to take when the most correct action is not to leave your house? And so I do think it's calling, it's calling, like, what else do we have to do now? But call our senators every day and say, uh, this is... This is, you know, this is what I want to see and this is what I don't want to see. And this is what I demand of you as the representative we've chosen to solve these problems. You do have a responsibility to come up with solutions that are compassionate to people who have lost everything from this. Yeah. And 
um, I think those of us who have not lost everything are in a, a better position to advocate mm-hmm. at this moment than, than others. And I think that's really, um, I don't know. So I guess like, that's what I've been thinking of. Like, what is my responsibility outside my own home and my own yeah. family and my own relationships? And I, I don't know. I guess I, I, for me, it's that I, I'm not trying to tell other people what to do, but I think yeah. that would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Helpful. Stuff. You could call them up and tell them what you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people, they, you know, some people have this, have this calling to help and they don't know what to do. So, you know, sometimes it's better to just say, Hey, this, these are some of the things I'm doing. You know, you can, I'll invite you to do the same. Um, yeah. but if that's not in your comfort zone, then, you know, here are some other things. And, to just Absolutely. keep looking for, you know, how to help. Um, yeah. There are a lot of ways. I think there are still a lot of ways to help. Um, and I think you can be safe um, in in some areas. I actually don't know about New York City and New Jersey and Los Angeles and places. Um, Colorado is a hotspot, but we are um, – we took action a little earlier. And so I think, like, there are ways to be safe in – direct action, like volunteering at a food bank or, Mm. you know, doing stuff like that. There are ways to be safe doing that. Um, but I also think like if you're not comfortable, you know, risking your own health in that way, I think there are also things you can do from home that are helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I can put up some, uh, some resources and suggestions in the show notes, um, websites and stuff like that, that people can go and, and look for ways to, to help from home remotely or, you know, with their dollars, if they have any, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I think, um, the food banks, I think food banks are a great place to put dollars if you have them right now. Yeah, um, totally. I think it's like really sad that that's how we have fed the nation's hungry for 10 years is just by like people's charity. And like, we have no national program for it. We're just all like, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it is actually an existing system that is heavily stressed right now that could definitely use some help. Yeah. Yeah. Our, my kids, um, music school, the, uh, the owner, he, uh, did a, a food drive for our, our local pantry, which I thought was really great. You know, I mean, as a small business, you know, that he's probably struggling, but he's still, you know, found it, in himself to say, I have a responsibility. So I'm reaching out to the parents and saying, Hey, I'm collecting some food. I'm going to deliver it on this day. If you guys can bring it to the school, drop it off. And you know, it'll help a lot of people. So, um, every small, you know, gesture matters. Yeah, I think absolutely it does. Um, I guess, yeah, that's what I guess for me, the answers, the answers are unclear, but I do think we need to answer. There are some questions that need answers. And, um, and sometimes finding those answers, you just, you, you just start, you know, you just take the first step towards something, you know, as opposed to being paralyzed in place and be like, I don't know the answers. Well, you know what, start taking a little action, you know, whether it's just a step forward towards more information that you could use for yourself or, um, you know, talking to people, you know, however you need to move, but just to get some momentum started might help with uncovering some kind of answer. All right. Well, it it seems that my, um, internet froze on you. (laughs) Just a minute, but I'm back now. Okay, good. So, um... I wanted to see if you had a poem to close out the show for us. I do. 
I do. It's by um, one of my favorite poems. And um, we didn't end up talking about my time as a sustainable farmer here in Colorado, but it um, Wendell Berry is a really influential poet and writer and thinker in um, the idea of localism, which is not untroubled in and of itself, but um, which I think is something that I don't know. It's important to me. Mm. Um, so I have a poem by Wendell Berry called The Peace of Wild Things, which is fairly famous, actually, and you may have heard it, but I find it, I found myself coming back to it in, um, like, multiple times during this past few weeks in particular. Mm. So you want me to just read it? Yes, please. All right. The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair grows in me and I wake in the middle of the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Mm, that's such a beautiful poem. I love that. It's so timely and timeless at the same time. Uh-huh. So beautiful. It makes me want to go outside at night, in the middle of the night. I don't know if you've been waking up in the middle of the night, but I'm just like... When those happen, I'm going to go out in the backyard and just lay down. Yeah, that's smart. That's very smart. I mean, we just got 10 inches of snow in Colorado. And it's nice. <laughs> I don't think you want to lie down. <laughs> I'm going to give it a week and let spring come back, but then yes. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, yeah, I love, I mean, that idea of just the way, the language of that poem, um, that they do not tax their lives with forethought of grief, mm. which is like, absolutely something I tax my life with all the time mm. and be better off not not doing that yeah so. yeah so beautiful well Claire thank you so much for sharing the poem for sharing your thoughts your experiences um and for talking with me today um it was it took some interesting turns I'll say that but it was so much fun and uh and I really appreciate it <laughs> um I will say that when I listen to your podcast, I definitely um, think of it as more uplifting than maybe this conversation was. So, but you know thank what? You it's okay. On, yeah. And thank you for um, like shining this light into the world of the podcast in general, and just trying to help people manage. Mm. Thank you. Feeling. Yes. Yeah. So, for having me on, it was really lovely to be here. All right. And now to close the episode, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste. Until next time. (laughs) If you're an empath, you already know how hard it is to stay energized or even to just get out of bed, especially during this pandemic. Unfortunately, most of us try to power through or give up and hide under the covers. But without understanding that our nervous system is the key to resilience, we remain frustrated by our wasted efforts and stay stuck in overwhelm and exhaustion. 
That's why I created a mini yoga and training class that provides you with tools to strengthen your nervous system. It's called How to Create More Energy and Resilience for Empaths. It usually goes for $97, but today I'm offering it absolutely free. I want to help more people get out of the vortex of depletion. Register today at suryaguion.com slash strong and resilient empaths. Live your best life now.